Size Bible Study Podcast. I am your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to continue our look at answering the question, what is the will of God? So, you know, we can personalize this and say, what is the will of God for my life? Or just maybe I'm looking at this in more of a broader sense of what is the will of God? Because frankly, um, there's really not any sort of deep mysterious thing to this whole concept and what the will of God is. Um, The will of God is basically for you to obey his commandments and to kind of walk out what he tells us clearly to do and not do throughout his word. Um, In our first look at this, we looked at (laughs) a very good guideline and a very good set of parameters for life in general, which would be the Ten Commandments. And then we got into some verses where we were looking at different things. And today we are going to continue that look at what is the will of God. Alrighty, and like I said, we're going to continue our look at this question of what is the will of God. Next, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, you know, this book, I mean, is just incredible. Romans, there's so much in Romans. Uh, It was a letter to the church of Rome and, um, there was a lot of contention at the time. It was a brutal time for Christians to live. Uh, Nero Caesar was uh, just a, a a horrible, horrible human being. He had a lot of personal issues. I, I've studied Nero a little bit. That guy had a messed up life from when he was born up until his death. But one of his pleasures was actually torturing Christians specifically. And, um, you know, this church of Rome, I could only imagine, I mean, we look around our, you know, I see, I look at some Christian websites and stuff and Christian news, quote unquote, and the things they complain about and bring up to light are just, you know, it's such, we have the saying these days of first world problems versus third world problems. Well, these are real first world Christian problems that we deal with these days. I mean, really, we don't deal with persecution, at least not yet. We're not thrown in jail. We're not dipped in oil. We're not lit on fire. We're not um, thrown to lions to be eaten alive. You know, that's what happened back then in this this time period. So, you know, again, all that going on. And then you have this completely new life and conversion that you're living in which people are looking at you like, what are you talking about? Because, again, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have um, the written word of God to reference to and to actually read, they were living it out, you know, and, um, this, uh, you know, it, it, it hindsight's always 2020. So we, we should consider ourselves blessed 
to have the Bible as the living word of God and as a point of reference to be able to look back and to understand. Again, it's incredible the way if you read the the letters, how applicable everything in the word of God is to this very day. And people want to deny it all they want. But the reason for that is the human heart is the same as it's always been. We're born into corruption. We're born into the flesh. And we will struggle and have this same um, things that we deal with until we are off this earth. It's just part of living in a fallen world. And, you know, unfortunately, right now, the world is, you know, the the, the adversary, the um, satanic ruler that is Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him. He's an evil, evil entity, and unfortunately, he has a lot of um, agents here on this earth that work both consciously on his side and unknowingly on his side, fulfilling his will and his purposes, just as God has his agents or his body here fulfilling his will and his purposes. So um, I don't want to give any glory to Satan or the dark side, so let's just get into the notes here for... Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, in light of the great plan of salvation outlined in chapters 1 to 11, particularly all the mercies, see, benefits it brings to us as Christians, let us respond appropriately. A living sacrifice. Since Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, are the new people of God, the new Israel, then should we not offer sacrifices to God just as the Old Testament Jews did? Yes, but not animal sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. Rather, we should offer our bodies, all that we are, as living sacrifices each day to God. Quickly stopping there. So this right here is an essential element to the Christian life. And if you want to know the will of God, especially the will of God for your life, start right there. Be a living sacrifice. And believe me, they are two words that entail a lot. They encompass everyday struggles. Again, going back to that point of making every decision for either the flesh or the spirit. Are you going to do God's will or your will? And being a living sacrifice is exactly that. We are alive on this earth. We have choices we make every day. And it's those choices that determine if we will do God's will or we will do our will. Will we reap good benefits or will we reap bad benefits? Will we have life that uh, lives that produce good godly fruit? Or will we have lives that produce rotten, spoiled fruit? It's a choice. And it really, this essential tenant of the new covenant and new church is definitely becoming a living sacrifice. That word sacrifice means a lot and encompasses a lot. It Basically, as we all can understand, it begins with sacrifice. That's where we are giving up the things of this world and of the flesh that we know are empty. We are saying no to those things and saying yes to God's will and God's spirit. Um, you know, it's 
there's something very rewarding about making those little decisions. And quick story. I mean, the other day I was, um, you know, I go run early in the mornings and I was heading in to grab a cup of coffee somewhere. And as I was pulling in the parking lot, I had a car cut in front of me. And then not only did they cut in front of me, they sped through the parking lot. All the snow that was on their car fell all over the place. I frankly, you know, fortunately at this point, I just kind of blow that stuff off. But I did note in my mind, I was like, wow, this person's a wreck. And they just seem like they're, you know, just uh, they're very um, uh, reckless. And they're just they, they just seem to not have a care in the world. And I was just shocked. And, you know, I just, again, blew it off. I went into the store, did my thing. But in the store, um, interestingly enough, that person who was driving that vehicle they ended up being a really cool person and nice person and good interaction with the, with the guy who was helping us out. And, um, you know, as I was, it's funny how, you know, um, it's funny how God will just call you to do things sometimes that you would never ever do if you weren't walking in the will of God. And I, um, as I'm leaving the store, this person, uh, you know, she's having this loud conversation with someone who she saw, a friend of hers in a parking lot. And then God said to me, love her, um, share, share me with her. And I have tracks that I keep in my car and my trunk just for random moments like that. But frankly, I haven't broken out a track and handed it out randomly like that in a long time. But it was one of those moments where I spoke about this a little while ago, where I felt the tug of God. I felt the Holy spirit saying, do this. And, um, you know, I know if I would have left there and not done anything, that would have bothered me for the rest of the day and probably up to this very moment because I know I disobeyed what the Lord was telling me to do. But I actually did um, introduce myself quickly and handed out um, a couple tracks to her and the person she was talking to. And it was just incredible. It was a great experience. Um, they they were very grateful and happy that somebody just, you know, would take the time to just care about them a little bit. And, you know, who knows what that even did. But, you know, maybe it was a seed that was planted. And, um, you know, maybe down the road that person will get to, you know, know the Lord. And who knows, maybe I'll see them at church because the track I have, um, the tracks that I have, have our church stamped on the back and stuff. And, even if I don't, I mean, just, just my point being is just obeying and becoming that living sacrifice. Because again, it started off with me kind of thinking negatively about that person and that whole situation. And it flipped around to the point of where I look forward and pray and hope that I see that person again someday. And it's just incredible. I mean, it's just a small little example, but it's just obeying, becoming a living sacrifice I put myself aside and my own personal feelings that before I would have had. And I just, you know, I just was open to what God said. And again, I am nothing. I'm nothing special. I, I just uh, simply, it, it's it's amazing how when, <laughs> when the Holy Spirit leads us and we obey the Holy Spirit and then the reward that we get is just the fulfillment of just making those conscious choices. Uh, it, it, there's just, it, there's such a mystery about it to me with God and how he works and how he blesses us. And look, I just thank God. I, I truly pray for that person now that they, you know, truly know the Lord, because I know, look, 
no matter how happy somebody is or, you know, um, outgoing or whatever it may be, um, I know how empty and lonely and depressed we can be <laughs> when we're by ourselves. And, um, you know, again, it was just a really cool experience. And it just uh, it ties back to this whole idea of becoming a living sacrifice and making a choice each day, every moment to live for the Lord and live in the spirit and not in the flesh. So uh, anyway, continuing with this note here for, again, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, the Greek word translated service is used to refer to ceremonies of Jewish temple worship in chapter nine, verse four and Hebrews chapter nine, verses one and six. The word translated reasonable can mean pertaining to reason. As such, it suggests that a rational response to God's mercies is to commit ourselves in an act of worship. The word may also be understood as spiritual. As such, our act of consecration is a supreme form of religious service, physical in that our bodies are presented in worship rational in that our reasoning is responsive to his truth emotional in that his mercies are perceived and awaken our sensitivities to his loving kindness and spiritual in that this is all the fruit of his spirits reviving and renewing ours so you know that's just saying again just you know it's it's all god's spirit working and to just be part of that is an honor and to just be able to obey in these little things is just it's incredible it's a great thing it's so rewarding just to you know again be able to do this little series this little podcast and to be able to get in and dig into the word of god and get to know his character more and more every day and even this question of what is the will of god you know as i study this and look through it it's just, it's pretty plain and simple, you know, uh, we, you know, when it comes down to it, we all have a conscience, we all know right from wrong, and it comes down to, you know, choosing to do right and not doing wrong, and, you know, God will lead and put things in your life and add and take away as it pleases him, and, and you know, he'll give us our seasons in life as we walk through life, so, quickly looking here at the vote, the uh, note for verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, world is literally age, referring to a godless system. We are not to accept the pattern of an age whose God is the devil. On the contrary, we are to be transformed by a renewed mind committed to the ideals of the kingdom of God. Prove means to test and to prove by practice in everyday life that God's will for us is good and acceptable and perfect. So, I mean, look, you never want to be fighting the will of God. Take it from one who did it for years in his life. It produces nothing but pain, sorrow, heartache, depression. I mean, where? tell me when to stop because it's like, you know, we, we put ourselves through these things, you know, especially if we know we're called to certain things. And then, you know, we wonder why we're suffering and why we're lonely and this and that when we're just simply not obeying and doing the will of God in our lives. And the sooner we learn to do those things and the will of God, then the sooner we'll be fulfilled and we'll walk in the spirit. We'll have peace, joy, long suffering, um, humility, 
meekness, all those qualities that, you know, Jesus exemplified that, you know, are described as fruits and evidence of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, we'll, we'll have those things. And trust me, there's nothing more than you want in life than to have those things and to not be living in those lonely, dark, depressed days and seasons of life because, um, you know, we're not called to that, frankly. We're not. We're not called to live that way. And frankly, most of the time when people are living that way, it's a result of their own decisions, be them good or bad. So, and I can only say that from experience. And I say that out of love. And I just encourage you to make the right decisions and choose the spirit, not the flesh, because the flesh as fulfilling as it might seem in the beginning, again, it just it, the flesh is never satisfied, and you just have to keep going deeper and deeper down those dark holes until the point of you just wake up one day and say, how did I get here? And then do you want to keep having to rebuild back to where God was, had you, and then, you know, could have brought you past these things? Um, just end the cycle and just, you know fall in love and do the will of God, not your own will. So we're going to look next at Ephesians chapter one, verses seven to 11. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So let's look at the notes here for, again, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 11. This letter repeatedly insists that the ground of all grace is the reconciling death of Jesus Christ on the cross at the expense of his redeeming blood. Through this alone, God offers forgiveness. Forgiveness is possible because Christ loved the church and gave himself to provide it. Again, quickly, just, I, I mean, just going back to the ridiculous theology of universalism, you know, there's one way to God. It's through Jesus Christ being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's that atoning, sacrificial blood that we are saved, redeemed, and we have access to the Father, and that's it. There's no other way. None. If there was, all of that would be pointless and useless, and God has a point and a use for everything especially that amazing act of self-sacrifice, amazing atonement. You know, it's the idea of universalism is just so ridiculous. And anyone that preaches it, they're preaching a false gospel. They're not a true Christian and they're lying to you. So don't believe them. 
All right, getting into, um, again, Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at the verses, uh, the notes for verses 9 through 13, or excuse me, 9 through 11. Mystery was formerly a divine secret, but in the New Testament, it now, excuse me, is now a fully disclosed truth for understanding and application. Dispensation is not a restricted period of time. The Greek word refers to the administration or management of a household. Paul is speaking of God's arrangement or dispensing of the affairs of history. Counsel of his will signifies God's eternal and unchangeable plan. Repeated reference to God's will establishes the confidence of strong purpose and solid ground for living. So I love that last note there for chapter 11 again or excuse me verse 11 chapter 1 of ephesians in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will again counsel of his will signifies god's eternal and unchangeable plan so that's why I said a little while ago, I, I didn't mean to call, you know, our own personal, what's the will of God for my life? Uh, I, I call it a little selfish. The only reason I say selfish in a certain respect, in a certain sense, <laughs> excuse me, is because when it comes down to it, God's big will and purpose is for humanity. That's where when it speaks about the predestined, you know, predestination, it's not one person or one people or one X, Y, or Z. It's his love for humanity, and that's what predestination means, is there were his people were predestined in a sense of God's perfect will and plan for humanity. So not God didn't sit and pick and choose and say, you're saved, you're going to hell, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell. He, he made a plan, and we all have our own will to either respond to that plan and turn our will over to God so we can live out God's will, or we can sit and try to live out our own will and then suffer the consequences for that down the road. So again, the only reason I, I do know God has a will for everyone's life personally, but at the same time, this idea of the will of God, that's why I say it's a broader thing. It's not so personal because the will of God is laid out throughout the entire Bible and is quint quite simple to see, and I'm trying to point that out to us now as we go through this. So let's look next at, we're going to look at Galatians. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. So God's will is for everyone to accept Christ and be delivered. That's another point here. We mentioned in um, the first part, one of the wills of God is for us to be watchful and expectant for his return. And another, you know, principle would be the main will of God is for us first to accept Christ and to be delivered, which is addressed here. And again, Galatians chapter one, verses three to five. Grace to you and peace from God, the father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And um, looking at the notes here for those verses, specifically for verse 4, 
Paul summarizes the epistle by declaring the fact, the purpose, and the ground of redemption in Christ. Scripture divides history into two ages, this present evil age dominated by Satan and the age to come inaugurated by Jesus. Since the present age has not yet passed away, the two ages are currently running on parallel courses. Jesus came to rescue us from the dominion of the old age and to transfer us into life in the age to come. That's some pretty incredible weighty stuff right there, pretty heavy. Um, but, you know, that idea of the parallelism of Jesus having his will and his uh, divine purposes and Satan also operating and operating towards his will and his purposes, um, you know, they are going to come to a head eventually um, at in the final, you know, judgment and the final days, if you will, which we are in. But towards that very last tribulation period is when it all comes to a head. But right now they're, you know, and like our lives, like, like we have this, you know, dualism, if you will, within ourselves of the flesh and the spirit, you know, <laughs> we have a constant war going on within us to, do our will or God's will. And it's it behooves us to choose God's will at all times because, again, that's the goodness of life, the quality of life, the happiness of life. And the ultimate, you know, goal of all of us is to walk out and fulfill God's will and purpose for our life. And I guess one cool thing when you think about it is although we are all, you know, th this idea of God's will can be generalized and looked at throughout the Bible. We obviously all have different backgrounds, come from different places, have different circumstances in our life. We're all part of different people groups, you know, all sorts of things. So I guess that's where the um, individuality of God's will for each one of our lives comes in. But again, ultimately, the big picture is, you know, God's will is for us to keep his commandments to, you know, Jesus made it pretty basic, you know, love our neighbor as we love ourselves, you know, and be living sacrifices. Um, so, you know, as much as it is um, a, a broad thing of that being the will of God for everyone, um, there's also, I guess the uniqueness again comes in with the very um, different lives that we all have. And the, you know, it, it just shows the unique um, I guess the uniqueness of the humanity and each one of us. And that's why it's, it, it's an injustice to group people together or to, um, you know, try to generalize people or to paint with broad brushes because we all have our own unique experiences and our own walks and, um, things that we, you know, consider, you know, important in life. And, um, but all of that does come down to um, when you are called out of this world by Christ, we are all called to conform to his ways. And we know his ways, again, by referencing back to the word of God, which clearly outlines God's do's and don'ts, if you will. And again, that's why we started with the Ten Commandments, because they are the ultimate basic templates for what God's will is for each one of our lives and what to how to live within you know his parameters and to live out his will for our life if you really look at the Ten Commandments too it's incredible how much 
how many areas of life that those Ten Commandments touch on. I mean, they are, it, it really touches on everything you could ever come across in life, uh, summarized in ten perfect, you know, commandments from God, which shouldn't be surprising considering it came directly from God. But at the same time, it's really unique. I mean, it's God is just incredible the way He can just put things out there and, you know, make them so basic so that we can understand them. Yet again, He touches basically all four corners of the earth with just ten commandments. That's Absolutely mind-blowing when you really look at it and think about it. But all right, let's flip over to John chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 38 to 40. So this is Jesus just, you know, speaking and teaching. Um, and he says, again, we're looking at um, John chapter 6, verses 38 to 40. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So just an awesome, you know... <laughs> It's some of the stuff Jesus says and you read through through the Gospels. It's just really hard to grasp. But, you know, th this is pretty much saying, you know, the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. And the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. It's very encouraging. I mean, it's God's will that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have everlasting life, and Jesus will raise us up at the last day. That's getting into different resurrections that are going to happen in the future, and we will look at that at some point because I'm still studying that. It's very deep, very complex, but I will say that um, a day is coming when every knee will bow, Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we are going to be standing before the great white throne in the day of judgment. And if you're saved and covered in the blood of Jesus, thankfully, <laughs> you have nothing to think twice about and nothing to worry about because it's not our own works that we will be judged upon. It's the work that Jesus did on the cross, and we will be um Basically, we will be seen in the light that Jesus is seen in. Um, I, I don't understand all of the, we will look at the final judgment sometime too. There's a lot to that. There's a, you know, I don't want to misspeak right now. I, I do believe that we will be judged based on our works and basically on what we were given on this earth. What did we do with what God gave us? We did look at a verse a little while ago where that specifically addressed. So, um, you know, especially people in different leadership roles. How did you lead? What was your example like? Um, to whom much is given, much is expected. So there is definitely going to be personal accountability even for Christians and followers of Christ as to what did you do with what God gave you? You know, did we take the gospel and take the grace of God and abuse it and use it and um, just, you know, just try to skim on into heaven? Or 
did we really embrace what God gave us and recognize the special gift that we have in salvation? And were we living sacrifices? And did we do the will of God or did we do our own will? And that's what will be judged upon. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 next, verses 15 and 16. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. So it's a pretty simple, um, you know, couple of verses there, but pretty much, you know, Peter's saying, this is the will of God. That by doing you good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So, again, those good works or that good is nothing more than the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The evidence of us being saved and being changed and converted, being living sacrifices and choosing to do the will of God over the, um, you know, our own will. And when we choose to do the will of God, then we will do those works that God calls us to. And we will, you know, silence our critics, essentially, because people can argue with a lot of things. You can sit and argue words and theology all day. But as we the saying goes, and we can know and we know from life experience, actions speak louder than words. And the evidence, the fruit of our life and the fruit of our conversion, when people see that, you know, it, it's there's no denying the evidence of a true change in a person when you see those works that not they're not legalistic, they're not trying to earn anything, but they're simply the product, the produce of the good vine that we are all attached to, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's look at next. Um, we're going to flip over to James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know that will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So, the book of James is awesome. He really just lays out truth with no filter, unashamed, unabashedly. He just, you know, he um, really just lays out truth. And what he's saying here basically is if you're in your own will, then you will arrogantly walk around and make plans as if you dictate when you come and go. But if you're in God's will, you will recognize that the Lord is in control. And although it is wise to obviously make plans, have a direction in life, 
But it's also wisest and wiser to realize that God's will and God's plans come first and before any of our own wills and any of our own plans we may make. So there's a big attitude difference there between us, again, walking around saying, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, or just saying, I may do X, Y, and Z, God willing. Those little subtleties are a huge difference and a big indicator of where your heart is and where you are actually the direction you're going. So let's look at um, the notes there for James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. And it says, A clear characteristic of having an affair with worldliness is making plans without consulting God. Such action is boasting, that is, a presumption that oneself, not God, is in control of the circumstances of life. Sin is not only actively committing evil deeds, it is also passively failing to do what you know God wants you to do. So that goes hand in hand. I mentioned before the sin of omission, which would be exactly that, knowing that God's calling you or tugging you to do something and you ignore that and just do your own will and do what you want to do. It's an arrogant attitude. It's a it's a self-righteous boast. And, you know, we all know where that's going to lead. It's going to lead to emptiness, hurt, pain, failure. Do you really want that? I know you don't. And I know I don't. I know we don't want that. So, um don't even entertain it. Don't, um, you know, just don't give any room to it. 